Well, it's so good to be with you again. I had so much fun. You know, one of the um, blessings of being the person who gets to share from up here is that then I get to hear from everybody else throughout the week about how you're interacting with the passage and the things that you're learning in this time. So I like kind of being the hostess of the party in that way and getting to hear some, um, yeah, just what God is helping you work through as you read his word and the way it's working out in your actual experience is just beautiful. So thank you for sharing and I just encourage you all to come up to me or um, get my email or uh, cell number to text me. I'd love to hear how you're interacting with these things. Well, you should all have a copy of today's text and questions. And I put a paper clip on them in case you want to put them side by side as you're working. Um, and then as we read, you're welcome to just mark up this Bible text here of our passage that we're looking at today. Um, most of the questions are for you to use later. They're just way too much for us to fit into 20 minutes or so. And um, so I'm hoping, and I have heard from a lot of you that you did take time this week to really delve in. If you haven't been able to, just, you know, in the next week or so, just consider finding a little half day or a couple hours to um, go through several of the packets together or maybe, you know, 15 to 30 minutes on one of them yourself. But I think these questions will really help you apply what you're reading and learning. Well, this is the second of four sessions on serving from the abundance of Christ. And we're considering the disciples' life-changing and world-changing experience doing ministry with Jesus while he was here on earth. Last week, we looked at the fishing miracle and the disciples' call to ministry in Luke 5. And today, we're looking at another miracle of abundance in Matthew 15, 29 to 39. Some of you might recognize this as the passage that we did Lexio Divina with on our fall retreat, if you were on our women's retreat. So through these four sessions, we are exploring how Jesus challenges his followers to think beyond our human limits and instead to serve from his abundance using the things that we already have. So if you'll take your packet here and look at Matthew 15, 29 to 39. Um, this time I'm gonna have us look for a few different things from this text. Um, I want one group of us to pay attention to um, the details about thoughts, feelings, words, or actions of Jesus. Another group, the thoughts, feelings, words, actions of the disciples, and another group of the crowd. So these, you don't have to write down everything, but I just want you to kind of be paying attention to one of those categories. I'll have, let's see, we have, I'll have the back table and these two side tables. Just take some notes in the text as you're going, underline, circle, some things about, that you see about Jesus. These two tables here, the disciples, these two tables here, the crowd. I'm gonna read that out loud, feel free to mark it up and then I'll hear from um, a couple of you from each group. After Jesus had left that place, he passed along the Sea of Galilee and he went up the mountain where he sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the maimed, the blind, the mute, and many others. They put them at his feet, and he cured them, 
so that the crowd was amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed whole, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they praised the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for the crowd because they have been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry for they might faint on the way. The disciples said to him, where are we to get enough bread in the desert to feed so great a crowd? Jesus asked them, how many loaves have you? They said, seven and a few small fish. Then ordering the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and after giving thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And all of them ate and were filled, and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. Those who had eaten were 4,000 men besides women and children. After sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. All right, these three tables, what did you notice about Jesus? What stood out to you? He's aware of physical needs. Aware of physical needs. He kept, he kept moving, right, noticing he left, he passed, compassion, yes, expressed his compassion, yes. All right, what about the disciples? They were kind of incredulous, how are we going to get that, where we are? <laughs> incredulous, how, how's that going to work? Yeah. They doubted their ability. Mm, doubted their ability. What else about the disciples? It was just the sheer number of them would be, I mean, even if we were here and we could go to McDonald's, that's <laughs> 4,000 people or 10. Yeah, so you're kind of relating with them that this is a lot of people. Yeah, and, and where are we going to get the resources for these people? Well, the disciples served the food. They served the food to the crowds. And then they, afterwards, they picked up the uh, broken pieces. They cleaned up. You're right, yeah. yeah they they served and they cleaned up. Cleaned up, yeah. Mm -hmm. They must surely have been amazed and in awe of how that worked out. Yeah, so picturing what it would be like to be the disciples and witnessing this with your own eyes, being right there. What about the crowd? Yeah, so a huge crowd, lots of different needs that were very severe, and many were healed. Krista, what did you say? I said eager anticipation. Eager anticipation. Yeah. 
can almost feel the excitement in the crowd. And they praised the God of Israel. Mm, praised. Yeah, so their amazement turned to praise directed at God. Well, beautiful. So as we enter the passage, we see that Jesus is, <clears throat> excuse me, along the Sea of Galilee. You know, we might assume that this is the same spot that where the disciples were called when we see the words of Sea of Galilee, but actually it's, it seems from Mark 7 that he may have been in, on the opposite corner of the Sea of Galilee, on the southeast side. And there's a difference in opinion among a lot of scholars on whether this was a Jewish a gathering of mostly Jewish people or whether it was a Gentile audience and, and um, crowd there. But the area on that side of the lake do, did tend to be more Gentile. It was called the Decapolis. Um, but we see Jesus climbing a mountain and a mountain in those times, and uh, for people from religious background, would symbolize a closeness with God. There was a lot of association with, you know, Mount Sinai, Mount Zion, and all of the wisdom that was given in those places, all of the promises that were promised about the end of days, and, you know, these big feasts and different things. So this was already being on a mountain in that kind of setting would give the an air of this is something special. Um, I think even for us, we kind of think of going to the mountains for retreat. And since the time of our, our reading last week and the passage this week, so much has happened in the life and ministry of Jesus. He has lost his cousin, um, John the Baptist, to being murdered by Herod for a party trick, basically. And um, so there's a lot of grief. There's a lot of ministry happening at the same time as Jesus is grieving this loss. Uh, he's, he's healing. He's interacting with both Jews and Gentiles. Um, even leading up to this passage, he's just interacted with a Gentile woman and healed her daughter from demon oppression. And there's, there are just so many things here, including a previous feeding miracle. That's one thing, if we read this passage by itself, we don't realize that this is, doesn't stand on its own. He had actually already done a feeding miracle. And so that makes you know, the disciples' um, approach and attitude even that much more funny when you think that they had already been witnessing all of these things, yet they still don't know where they're gonna get this bread. I, I was impressed what an example he was before he gave the, the food, he gave thanks. He gave thanks, yes. Yeah, Eucharisteo or Eucharisteo, is that how they say it? But we see that when Jesus goes up the mountain that he sits down to rest after this climb. And he, he's resting, and this reminds me a little bit of um, in the book of Judges, where Deborah, the judge, would sit under a tree and just make herself available for people to come to her with their questions and needs. Now, people would have to do a little bit of climbing to get to Jesus, so there was some um, commitment involved in getting to be near him. Um, but he makes himself available, and the fact that he's up there on this mountain means that people aren't just going to be passing by for a miracle, like a drive-through or something. They're, they're coming, and as we see, they're going to be staying for a bit. And we see these great crowds again. This is a characteristic of Jesus' ministry, great crowds. 
his reputation is spreading and news of, of his healing and his wisdom is spreading. So here come the crowds again. They, can you imagine these people that are bringing their friends who are disabled, bringing them up to this spot on the mountain and how much effort and commitment that would include. And show that, so that shows the desperation that these people had to get near Jesus. And Jesus meets these people in their severe health struggles. And not only does he comfort them and connect with them, but he cures them. And I noticed the before and after here, and you can just feel the way this communicates the amazement there. The mute are speaking, the maimed are whole, the lame are walking, the blind are seeing. And as the crowds witness this drastic change with their own eyes, they are amazed. And then as we said from this group here, they turn that amazement toward praise to God. When we get to verse 32, we see Jesus calling his disciples to him and saying, I have compassion for the crowd because they have been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. So Jesus shares not only wisdom with his disciples, you know, his disciples have followed him and they're on this journey of discipleship with him as learners, but he doesn't only share his wisdom with them, he also shares his feelings. And I just love this picture into the empathy and tenderness of Jesus. He calls his disciples over to him and it's like Jesus is saying again, come follow me, but come follow me in this, this particular thing of, of feeling compassion for the needs of the people around you. Follow me in this, feel my feelings for people so that you can then show it in action. Jesus is transforming them as they observe him and serve with him. They've studied the Torah since childhood, but they're now witnessing God's word as it unfolds in their actual everyday tangible environment. So part of learning from Jesus is learning to feel his feelings for other people. And I know for myself, when it comes to serving, when I can feel Jesus' feelings for other people, I don't have to work from my own energy. I can work from his compassion and from his momentum. Jesus has already cured those with severe disabilities, but I like that now he is showing us that he doesn't only address acute needs, he also cares for the whole crowd and the ongoing needs of the crowd. So this crowd has been with him for three days, interacting with him, watching him heal, connecting with him in conversation, hearing from his wisdom, and they've stayed to fellowship with Jesus and each other. The conversations and connections during this extended three days to me feels like it's almost like this large spiritual retreat in the mountains. And then I started imagining a, a retreat where you run out of food, and that didn't sound quite as fun. <laughs> and as Jesus anticipates the basic needs of those present, we see that the physical body is of great value to Jesus. I think sometimes in spiritual work we can forget that and we can think of serving as, as being only spiritual and um, the things of that nature, but the physical body is a great value to him. In fact, the word for compassion here actually means to have your bowels moved 
for someone. So even Jesus is feeling his compassion bodily for his, his compassion for their bodily needs. He, he felt deep concern for the needs of these people. And we know, I noticed that we don't even hear complaints from the people about their own hunger. Jesus is anticipating those things before they even express the need. He advocates for them and plans for their nourishment before any mention of growling stomachs. And I wonder for us, how does it feel to think that Jesus anticipates human needs, both our own needs and those of the needs of those we serve? How might that change the way that we approach ministry? His attention on nourishing the body reminds me of after healing the daughter of Jairus and everyone is praising him. He stops their astonishment and says, get this girl something to eat. And uh, I, I've always been interested and curious in the way that he, he honors the ongoing needs of the human body. They are not a burden of ministry to Jesus. They're part of God's good design. And so tending to our own physical needs and the needs of others is part of our ministry. It's not an obstacle to it. Jesus' ministry involves the whole person, not just the spirit. I know sometimes when I'm doing thinking work like writing, I can tend to um, forget my physical needs. And as I start to um, just eat a little too much snack food, I'm reminded that woman does not survive on potato chips alone. <laughs> And I, I think that that happens in ministry as well. Sometimes we can just be going along and forget the needs of our body, that we need rest, that we need good nourishment. But Jesus affirms those things here. Um, Amy Carmichael, an Irish missionary in India in the early 1900s, faced a lot of pushback from people from, who were supporting her as they heard about her building orphanages and schools in the communities where she served. They thought of these ministries as being focused on external things, um, you know, the physical and educational needs. And they even called these things worldly activities distracting from the saving of souls. And I loved her pithy response back to them. Souls are more or less firmly attached to bodies. <laughs> and as we think of the way that Jesus prioritized bodily needs, that affirms our need to do so too. And so I want us to consider, and you can do this later in your packet, how can you be treating the needs of the human body, not as a burden or an obstacle to ministry, but as part of God's good design? And that will help keep us from burnout. In verse 33, the disciples said to him, where are we to get enough bread in the desert to feed so great a crowd? So they're looking at their location, as being in a location of lack, where are we gonna find food out here? And they're looking at the size of the crowd as another uh, obstacle and issue. I see the disciples here as, um, you know, put there to make those of us with small faith feel a little less embarrassed about our small faith. There were so many works of God listed in the Old Testament and even in their recent experience that could have prepared the disciples to be more open and expectant of Jesus' abundance. 
um, even as they say the words in the desert in their question. A devoted student of the Torah could have pictured the history that their own people had with God in the desert. And so when you go to do your worksheet later, you might write down some of those events that in, in uh, scriptural history that would bring, that would come to mind with this miracle. They've forgotten the manna in the wilderness and Exodus. They've forgotten how God brought food to Elijah using ravens in the wilderness. The miracle of the widow's flour and oil, those are both in 1 Kings 17. They've forgotten Elisha feeding, 20, uh, feeding 100 men with 20 barley loaves in 2 Kings 4. And they've also forgotten the catch of fish miracle that we just read about last week, as well as the previous feeding miracle that is very much like this one, just in a different location. As this long story of abundant nourishment is found in their past, they also have it listed in their future, uh, prophesied in their future. Isaiah 25, 6 says, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food. So it sounds like these students might need to go back and study a little bit more. Many of the references in uh, these references in the Old Testament are um, talking about a messianic banquet, the banquet of Christ, a feast of abundance and fellowship that will come at the end of days. And we see that God has left a, a, a trail of breadcrumbs, quite literally, in this people's history. As we consider our own area of service, what is it that feels lacking? As we look at our location or the great crowd that we're ministering to, what are we wondering, uh, where can I get enough based on our own circumstances? You can kind of keep that in mind right now and then do a little more exploring and digging of that later. But it strikes me that if we're lacking energy or vision for the ministry in front of us, we may forget, be forgetting that God cares about the needs of the body and God has done abundant miracles in the past, as well as promising abundant joy for the future. Remembering those three things can help realign us and help us tune in with Jesus' vision and, and energy. Reviewing God's past work and promises for the future, we can see our present situations differently. When we look at the barrenness of the desert and the size of the crowd, we might only see what's lacking. But we can ask Jesus, where are we to get enough bread? That's one thing that they did well here, is turn their question toward Jesus. Whether or not they remember any of the past examples, Jesus is using this situation to show himself as Messiah, the banquet host, the provider of bread from beginning to end. I hope that later you'll have some time to think through what are some of the things in your own life that God has shown you and done. What are some of those miracles and, and examples of abundance that you might write down and remember and consider how past works of God in your life or in scripture can help you see the present differently. In verse 34, Jesus answers their question, well, how many loaves have you? And they said, seven and a few small fish. So just like in the story of the catch of fish last week in Luke 5, here we see again 
that Jesus is valuing the tangible things that are present in the environment around him. Matter matters. The stuff of earth is important. You know, God created matter to begin with, and he's been working with the stuff of earth since the beginning of time when he formed man from dust. He interacts with his disciples in the crowd here, and instead of making something out of nothing like he could, he turns his attention to what the people already have in hand. And this goes back to the worksheet that we had last week, that we have things in hand now. We have resources, we have gifts that God has put in us, we have life experience, and all of these things are just waiting here ready to be put into Jesus' hand to allow him to multiply those things. So continue to consider what do you have to work with and what, how you, might you place that in Jesus' hands. Verse 35 and 36, he tells the crowd to sit down on the ground. So he's this, this banquet host, and he's going to feed these people. He puts this uh, seven loaves and fish in his hand, and he gives thanks. And the word for giving thanks here, like I said earlier, is eucharisteo, and it's where we get our word for Eucharist, which is another word for communion or the Lord's Supper. And the root in the middle of that word is grace. Jesus graces these loaves and the, these fish as he prepares to multiply them. Um, Jesus gives thanks before all of the feeding miracles that are listed, as well as before the Last Supper. And then he also does the same giving thanks before the miracle when he's about to raise his friend Lazarus from the dead. And I want us to notice how Jesus gives thanks before the miracle and not just after, that he's giving thanks for what is going to happen. And we can do that too. We can follow his example and give thanks, knowing that he is in the business of multiplying our resources. We can give thanks before we see a change and as well as after. We can live in that expectancy and gratitude. There's something about the way that Jesus breaks bread that becomes sort of a signature for him, and it becomes part of how people identify and recognize him. You, know, you can imagine being there in the crowd and seeing something like this with your own eyes. That would be seared in your memory. Um, he breaks bread again at the Last Supper, before, just before he's arrested and taken to the cross, and then after his resurrection, if you know the story on the road to Emmaus, where there are two disciples that don't even recognize him until they're sitting down with him at a table and they see him break the bread. I can almost see him like winking or something as he breaks the bread, but this is a signature for him. And breaking bread also signifies abundance, that I have enough to share. There's enough here to share. And that abundance brings fellowship in that sharing. Watching how Jesus involves his disciples in this sharing is a really neat thing. We see a continuation of the two themes from last week, that we serve with Jesus, not just for Jesus, and Jesus likes teamwork. Like you said, the disciples are involved in serving the food, so they don't multiply the food, but they put the food in Jesus' hands, watch him multiply it, he gives it to them to serve. And so we can consider that too, that we put our resources our, or our hopes in Jesus' hand, watch him multiply those things, and then receive back to give to others. Our abundance comes from him. 
Jesus is the initiator of this miracle, but he still involves people and allows them to imitate him, his abundance and generosity. They get to participate. They work together to carry the weight of ministry, so they work both with Jesus and with each other as a team of disciples to serve this huge crowd. So imagine the 12 at this point sharing with this crowd of 4,000 plus. And as the disciples share, the community and the connection with Jesus expands, and those who are fed get to witness not only Jesus' abundance, but the teamwork that Jesus um, initiates. In verse 37 to 39, we see that all of them ate and were filled, and they took up the broken pieces left over seven baskets full. Imagine Jesus breaking seven loaves of bread and a few fish and feeding every student at North Central High School and all their families. That kind of puts it in perspective when you picture that building full of people plus their families. Jesus has multiplied the nourishment to the point that people are going home with full bellies and there are seven baskets left over. And this tells me that you know, a lot of times we think that when we serve, that we're depleting our energy and depleting our resources. But when we serve with Jesus, we can expect abundance even when we're done with a task. And so consider how, how that looks in your life. In what ways have you felt more abundance after serving than before? I don't have time to go into all of the significance of this passage, but maybe on your own time, you can look up why the numbers are important here, the numbers seven. Um, even in Mark, Mark chapter eight, when Jesus is talking to his disciples about the two feeding miracles, he, uh, he shows that the numbers are important. Um, but basically, the number seven is a number of completion, signifying the days of creation, um, including the day of rest, and um, then there are others that say it may refer to the seven Gentile nations and including that were there at, um, when Israel came into the promised land. And so it's including these people in the fellowship of Jesus. So anyway, the, it's mind blowing that each loaf of bread that began with ends up having a basket of leftovers at the end. When you picture that, it's, it's pretty wild. And we, sh we see how sharing with others has created abundance. Well, there's so much more here that I could share, and I had to cross a lot of things out so that I wouldn't have to talk like an auctioneer to fit it all in. But I hope that what we've covered today will lead you back to this text and maybe to some other texts that connect with it and, and that you'll take some time to go through more of the questions on your own. Um, I know that some of our women are getting together a couple you know in pairs and going through some things together as they consider new steps in ministry or if they're leaving one ministry and turning toward another it's a great way to consider what god has for you in this time today as we consider the question where are we to get enough whether we're looking for bread like the disciples or energy or teammates or extra time, 
My advice is that we take that question, where am I to get enough, and turn it toward Jesus. And so on your worksheet, I would just encourage you to just draw a little arrow and just say, ask Jesus, and remind yourself to ask Jesus directly. As we ask Jesus, he has answers for us that come in the form of watching him at work. And part of watching him at work is listening for his feelings about the people and situations around us. So as we turn toward Jesus and ask, where am I to get enough? Let's ask him to show us, what are your feelings for the people and situations around me? And then what do you want to do here? And then like the disciples, be ready to serve and clean up. Thank you.